0: My name's Ben, if I haven't met you yet. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Auckland TV. Um, so good to be gathered with you guys tonight. Like Mark said, we were looking at Psalm um, 103 tonight, and then next week kicking off into our new series in Ephesians, which I'm really excited for. Um, so make sure you get back next week for that. Um, for me, this, this last kind of season, this last few weeks, this last few months even, has been a, a bit of a difficult one. I shared a bit of my story a couple weeks ago. Um, but we, we, we finished college. I finished college with my wife, Sophie, in November last year. And we planned to come across to Auckland at the end of the year. And it didn't happen. And the borders were closed. And then we had like three or four months of house sitting. I think there was one, no, one two-week period where we were in three different houses, moving the kids to and fro. And it just felt hectic. Um, and it's been a season when we've had lots of our routines have changed, and trying to start my new routines up again, and um, lots of things are different. I only just set up a desk yesterday that I could work from in my house. Um, so it's just been lots of change in our lives. And it's been a season where it's been hard to praise God. Um, it hasn't come as naturally. It's, you know, I usually try and fit it into routine, and that hasn't happened for me. And, and so with all the change, all the anxiety, where are we going to live? What are we going to do? Where are we are going to stay? I found that harder. Have you experienced a season like that in your life? Um, a season where, you know, praise of God doesn't necessarily come naturally. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know God. You don't want to praise Him. And, and um, you're like, what's church all about? I'm just here exploring this stuff. Um, if that's you. That's great. We're well, so good to have you here with us as well. Um, tonight we're going to look at, um, praise, and and Calvin the reformer. He's an old dead guy in church history. Um, he 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 said that the Psalms are the anatomy of the soul, right? That everything that you can feel, every emotion that's in the human kind of spectrum of feeling, um, the Psalms cover them. They speak into them. They teach us how to deal with those emotions and process them and bring them to God. Um, and so the Psalms help us to do that. They give us the language to use. And that's why I love the Psalms. I want to encourage you to be people that get stuck into the Psalms in your own personal lives. That's why we're doing a Psalm this holiday. God wants to meet us, you and I, in the middle of whatever we're feeling, whatever emotion we're we're, we're in the midst of, whatever circumstance we're in the midst of. He wants to meet us there and show us his love, show us how worth praising he is. So that's my goal tonight, is for us all to leave wanting to praise God more. Um, Let's pray that we would see that happen by the work of God's Spirit. Father God, we want to praise you more. We want to see you more clearly. We need your help tonight. Would you give us a fresh look at your character, your heart for us? Would you fill us with your Spirit as we get into your Word and as we see more clearly or even for the first time who you are and how you have acted towards us? Um, We pray that you would do that work in us tonight. Amen. I've got an observation about praise, and then three things that this psalm will teach us about praise. So it's in your handout. You just have it there. The observation is that we need help to get our praise on. It doesn't always come naturally. And then the three things we're going to look at is, firstly, um, it's the character of God that is what we most praise him for. Secondly, he, the God that we praise knows us and forgives us in covenant love. And then, thirdly, to rightly praise God, we need to fear him. So, that's where we're going to go tonight. Um, we're going to work through it in the outlines. So, stay with me. In, um, so, my observation is that we actually need help to praise God. So, have a Bible open. We're going to just kind of work through the psalm. Um, um, pick it up with me in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can kind of share with the person next to you. I'm sure they'll be happy to share. Uh, all right, my soul, bless the Lord. And all that is within me, bless His holy name. My soul, bless the Lord, and do not forget all His benefits. See, the Psalms—they were this kind of the hymn book of God's people. Um, they would kind of do what we're doing now. They would gather together as God's people, and kind of they in the temple, and, and the the, the um, conductor would say, "Hey, we're we going to do this psalm," and they would open up their—I don't know—maybe a scroll. I don't know what they did it on, but and then they'd sing the Psalms together. They'd pray them together. And and do you see what David's doing here? Rather than instructing the congregation of a, of a temple, of a Jewish congregation, to praise God, who's he talking to? His own soul, his own kind of innermost self, his own being. And he's kind of, you know, what's he doing here? He's, it's self-talk, isn't it? He's reminding himself to praise God, to not forget his benefits. Um, you know, David was human like you and I, and he had times when he would have walked closer with God and felt further away from God. And he needed this reminder. That's kind of, it's human to need that. And so what does he do? He, he reminds himself of all the things that he's got to praise God for. See it in verse three with me. He says, He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things your youth is renewed like the eagle. See, David lists all these gifts that have come from God, forgiveness, satisfaction, renewal, all these different things that have come from God. And if you know anything of David's life, you'll know that he needed these gifts, that he he was a man who committed murder. He was a man who, rather than listen to God and do things his way, he decided he was going to do it. His way instead. He built a temple not to make God look great, but to make his own name look great. He's a man who needed to find satisfaction in something else. And so he he, he reminds himself of all these benefits. And the pit is kind of this poetic way of speaking about death and destruction. It's the language of um, being destroyed. But God hasn't treated him that way, has he? God has shown him life and mercy and grace. And so David's thanking him. He, he describes his experience as being made new like an eagle. Um, this, this kind of process of renewal. And I was, kind of, I was Googling eagles because I was like, what's that about? Um, eagles are constantly losing feathers and growing new ones. This constant process of molting and renewal. And, and, and so David says, well, the eagle, that's like my experience of God's love and mercy towards me. I'm constantly being renewed. Uh, it's, it's poetic, isn't it? And here's a quick little tip. As you read poetry, the Psalms are poetry. Um, Different bits of the Bible we read differently. When you read Psalms and you see these images, the goal isn't just to understand it. That's the first thing you want to do. What does it mean? It's renewal. It's this experience that David's been going through. But actually, it's poetry. It's designed to make us feel something. And so as you go through, you're reading the Psalms, slow down, Um, spend some time on the images, see what they um, make you feel, dwell on them a little bit. David reminds himself of all that God has done for him. How worth praising he is. And you and I, we need to do that too. I remember um, I was dating Sophie and engaged to Sophie, my wife, um, long distance, three hours apart. I was on, up north, she was three hours south. And we'd hang out, she'd come up, you know, we'd see each other for a weekend or whatever. Um, and It was so good. We'd have fun dates, go places, heaps of fun. And then she'd go home. I wouldn't see her for a week or two. And I had to keep reminding myself, this is the woman I want to marry. This is the the woman I want to spend the rest of my life with. Um, Even though I knew how great she was, I just forgot over time. um, And I needed that reminder. And that's us with God. Um, We might know it um, intellectually, but actually, do we know it in our hearts? We need to remind ourselves, we need to preach a sermon to ourselves to help us know and feel how good God is to us. There's a few ways that I try to do this in my day. Um, I try to start my morning spending time with God. Um, Last year, actually, I read a psalm every morning, and it was one of the best things I could have ever done. We were in lockdown for some of that, and just to start my day with God like that, um, it was was so good. Um, I don't know, you know, I know not all of us are morning people. But where are you going to fit God and being reminded to be thankful and reminded to praise God into your everyday life? Um, Tie it to a routine. Do it after dinner or do it after your shower or, you know, go for a walk and put your audio Bible on. Um, Fit it into your everyday routine. Make a habit of it because we need that help to be reminded how praiseworthy God is. Um, Maybe for you, it could be getting a friend and saying, hey, let's send each other a text every week saying, what are you thankful for? Um, just a simple thing like that to remind each other to bring gratitude and praise into our lives. I don't know if you've seen, thankfulness is a real craze at the moment, like on Instagram and stuff. People are there. Who are they thankful to? Right? The universe. We know the God who we praise and can love and, and knows it intimately. Thank him. It's so good. Um, we often ask at our dinner table, what are you thankful for each day? And, and you know, Reuben the other day, he said, um, what do you say? Like, thankful that no one's been killed by a volcano today. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that he had the worldwide statistics on volcanoes. I didn't have the evidence or the stats, but uh, you know, sometimes it's a bit silly. But craft those moments in your day when you can remind yourself to be thankful. Um, how are you going to do that? Is it a, a playlist on Spotify? Is it a, an audio Bible? Whatever it is. Well, I think actually one of the key things to help us um, get our praise on is coming here and gathering as church. Uh, I think that's really key. You know Hebrews 10:25 doesn't say, it says don't stop meeting together, but instead continue gathering together to encourage each other. So the opposite of not gathering isn't just gathering. The opposite of not gathering together as God's people is to encourage one another all the more until he returns. There's this thing that we do where we're not just in it on our own. We come together to encourage one another. We're responsible to help each other get our praise on. So it's so good what we're doing here tonight. So that's my observation. We need help to get our praise on. What are you going to do this week to help you get your praise on? Who are you going to help to get their praise on? We do it together. And now let's look at this. I think there are three things that this psalm teaches us about praise. The first one is that it's God's character that sits centrally to what's at the heart of why we praise him. So you pick it up with me, get your Bible. Verse 6. David says the Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. You can picture the language of oppression. David's thinking back to Israel in slavery in Egypt, oppressed under harsh rule. Verse 7, he revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. He's thinking back to the way God has acted in history. The plagues to change Pharaoh's mind to let them come out of Egypt. The provision of parting the Red Sea so they could go through the manna and the water in the desert out of nowhere solely so that God could provide for them. He's acted in mighty ways to his people. But notice, it's not just what God has done that sits at what is at the heart of David's praise. See verse 8. He says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. See, the focus of David's praise here is not what God does, but who God is. This is a quote. Um, this verse, in verse 8, it's a quote from Exodus 34, and it's probably the most quoted bit of the Old Testament in the Old Testament. It's a quote that reverberates around the, the Psalms, the Pentateuch, the um, prophets in the, going on. They all go back to this moment. And in this moment, what's happened is God has brought Israel out of Egypt, Exodus 34. He's saved them. And Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with Israel. And what do Israel do? They think, I'm going to take all my jewelry off, my earrings, my necklaces. They um, take all their gold off, melt it down, turn it into a cow, and worship it. Like the, they've just been saved by God, and that's what they turn to. And so God is furious. He, he, he has this mind to kind of wipe out Israel. And, and Moses says to him, no, don't do that. Like, Think how silly you'll look if you kill these people that you just saved. And Moses says, I need to know that you'll forgive us. I need to know that you're for us. I need you to show us your glory. And so what does God do in that moment? What would you do in that moment? You could show Moses like, the solar systems and the universe and all the stars that you'd made and say, there's my glory. Look at the majesty of the universe. You could parade in front of Moses all the animals and say, look, there's the giraffe. Look, there's the rhino. I don't know what's the most... I really like meerkats. Um, they're one of my favorite animals. at the zoo. Look at my glory in the animals that I'm parading in front of you. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that at all. He doesn't even show his glory in like thundering down judgment on the people. See, what does he do? He passes before them and he says in chapter 34, verse 6, he says, I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious one, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. See, God's glory, his weightiness, the essential kind of essence of who he is that makes him worth praising, it's his compassion. It's his graciousness. It's that he's slow to anger, that he's forgiving, that he's a God who loves. That's what sits at the center of his glory, of his goodness. That's who he is. He's he's slow to anger, this is a Hebrew phrase. It's actually an idiom, and it's, it means he's long-nosed. Um, so picture a bull, you know, um, snorting at the ground, snorting. Like, that's short-nosed, right? Ready to charge. a Short fuse, ready to just slam someone. Seeing red, red all the time and just ready to explode. But God's not like that. He's long-nosed. He deals with us gently and full of mercy. He's full of compassion towards us. He doesn't blow up Instantly, he's quick to forgive and slow to anger. And he's abounding in faithful love. Now, this phrase is faithful love. It's not this kind of mushy, romantic kind of catch feelings for you kind of love. This is the word here that's used to describe God's covenant that he makes with the people. It's steadfast. It's faithful. It's committed. It's unchanging. That's what God's love is like to us. See, remember David's praise in verse 4 that he's being crowned with love? Well, how can God do that to David? It's because that's who God is. He is love. And so he kind of reaches into himself and his own attributes. God is love. And then can act towards David in love and in no other way because he's loving. That's who God is. That's why he can act the way that he does. See, what could be better than praising a God like that? when you see who he is with his compassionate and steadfast love for us. So see, C.S. Lewis put it beautifully. He, he's talking here about um, how we praise God and how that actually helps us enjoy God more. And he says this. It's going to come up on the screen. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is, it's appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till expressed. Do you see what he's saying there? It's when you actually share and praise something that you actually get to join in, and you get joy out of praising the thing that you love. It's like at Eden Park when you you hear the fans singing their team's football song. They're they're enjoying the experience all the more because they're praising the team that they love and they want to see win. Or it's like... um, when you go to a restaurant and you just love the food. Has anyone done this? You go to somewhere, and it, new experience, love the food, and then you can't stop telling everyone about it? Do you guys do that? Like It's like you actually enjoy it all the more as you tell, tell the people how good the food is. I went to Paradise the other day. we got Indian... Have we got any Paradise lovers in the house? Okay, there we go. It was so good. You've got to go to Paradise. And I enjoy it all the more as I think about it now and tell you guys... How good it is. See, that's us with God, isn't it? The more we know of God's character, the more we see his goodness to us, the more we understand his love and compassion, that he's slow to anger. We praise him. And the more we praise him, the more we get to enjoy who he is. He's giving of himself to us in that way. That's the first thing. It's God's character that is central to why we praise him. Secondly, we praise the God who knows us and forgives us in covenant love. So you pick it up with me in verse 11. David's trying to give us some comparisons to kind of help us understand God's love here. He says, "For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us." This is poetic language, isn't it? In verse 11, what's the focus? It's distance. And how how high above how how great is the distance of God's faithful love? It's as high as the heavens are from the earth. How high is that? It's immeasurable. That's the point, isn't it? As high as the heavens are from the earth, that's God's faithful love to us. Or verse 12, what's the the focus here? It's on this idea of removal. Removal of sins. And so he's saying as far as east is from the west, that's as far as God has removed our sins, our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? It's immeasurable, isn't it? That's what God has done for us. That's the point of what David's saying here. He says in in, in verse 13 to 14, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. See, the focus here is on compassion. And and do you see the link is between a father and his children? It's this kind of intimate, um, personal knowledge and compassion. And and what drives the compassion is actually knowing who we are. And and David says, we're actually like dust before God. See, the God who knows us intimately... Is the God who loves us with a great compassion. Um, you know, parents, they see their, their kids' um, weaknesses, their things they're trying to help them grow in, their you know, bad habits, and they still love their kids, even despite those things. That's what good parents do. But great parents, they, they love their children, their heart goes out to them when they see those things, when they see their children's weaknesses, that they want to come and love them and meet them there. So I saw my son the other day building with Lego and, and he, couldn't, he couldn't make the bits fit together. He had a couple of bits of Lego and he, like, he, couldn't, he couldn't get them to fit together and he was getting more and more frustrated. And, and Ruben, my four-year-old, he doesn't have good emotional regulation techniques. He couldn't like, take five deep breaths he couldn't go and, like, you know, go for a walk and come back 10 minutes later, um, you know, do some meditation. He doesn't, he's four, right? He, he didn't do any of that. Uh, he can't do some mindfulness exercises. And he's just getting more and more tense. And I, my heart in that moment went out to him. In his frustration and, and pain, and, and my heart as a father went out to him. And I loved him even more in that moment. See, God knows us more intimately than any parent ever could, and yet loves us immeasurably. More, And so he loves us even when he sees our frailty and our finitude. And so don't don't treat yourself harshly because God doesn't treat you that way. Don't beat yourself up. Don't think of yourself poorly all the time. God doesn't treat you that way. He deals with you with compassion like a father. He loves us. He loves it when he sees our weakness and frailty, when when he sees us run to him seeking forgiveness, turning to him, and repenting. He loves to see that. I'm aware that not all of us have fathers who have acted like that in our own lives. But we know, don't we, there's a human instinct to know that's, that's kind of the role of fathers, to, to love and protect and raise their kids that way. And I think it's based, that's based on what we know of God as our Heavenly Father. See, this psalm, it reminds us that our lives are fragile and short. They're like flowers. They're like the, the grass of the field, Like dust. See, in, in the scope of things with an eternal God who has existed from eternity past into eternity future, uh, what are our 80 years? They're just a flower. They're there and then they're gone. That's our life in the big scheme of things. But see how, how David contrasts the, the kind of frailty of our lives with his love. Verse 17. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is towards those who fear him and his righteousness toward the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. See, God's in the business of keeping covenant love despite our sin and our frailty. See, that's the story of the Old Testament, isn't it? Um, God makes a promise to the people of Israel and he says, I'll be your God you can be my people, I'll bless you and you'll, you'll live with me and you follow me and, and things will be great. But if you don't, then actually I won't be your God and I'll curse you. And, and the story of the Old Testament is actually Israel's continual failure to listen to God, to love God, to put him first in their lives. It's a continual failure. Each of the leaders of Israel fail. The people continually fail. They have good moments, but they end up all failing before God. But the great paradox of the Old Testament is that even though God made this covenant with them and they both had parts to keep their bargain in the covenant, what does God do? He still shows steadfast love. He continues to forgive and show mercy because he's not short-nosed, he's long-nosed. He continues to do it time and time again through the Old Covenant. It keeps going on. And it's why David can say in verse 10 that God won't treat him as if his sins deserve. Why is that? It's because David knows the heart and the character of God, that he continues to forgive him, continues to renew him with mercy. But I think David said it then in a way that actually points forward points forward to his life and his experience of God. See, I think this psalm, and I think actually all the psalms are Jesus songs. They actually speak forward to our experience more fully in Jesus. See, in Jesus, we see what David could only see in part. We understand, don't we, how God could not deal with us as if our sins deserve. Romans 5, 8 says this, God proves his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How do we know God's love for us? Christ on the cross, dying for us. We too, are just like Israel. We continually don't even live up to our own standards, let alone God's perfect standard. And he continues to forgive us time and time again. He continues to show us covenant love and mercy time and time again. He loves it when we come to him and apologize and repent and say, God, I've stuffed up again. Can you forgive me? He'll always welcome you in. See, that's, that's our relationship with God through Jesus that David didn't actually have. See, Jesus takes the punishment for our sins. Jesus dies in our place so that we can come back into relationship with God, made new, washed clean, and given new life through Jesus. We understand this psalm much more fully than even David, the person who wrote it, could have. See, how much more than David do we have to praise God for? Heaps more. We've got such a deeper experience of God's love for us at the cross in Jesus. See, in Jesus, the God who knows us intimately, who knows all our frailty, all our failings, all our sins, he loves us, he's forgiven us, and he calls us to come back to him time and time again, intimately, with compassion, like a father. He keeps forgiving us in his covenant love. Now, isn't that a God worth praising? Yeah? And I think the third thing that this psalm teaches us about praise is that actually we need a healthy fear of God if we're going to praise him rightly. See, David uses the language of fear three times in this psalm. Did you pick it up? Did it seem weird to you when the Bible was read out earlier? Verse 11, it says, So great is his love to those who fear him. Verse 13, the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. Verse 17: "The Lord's love is with those who fear Him." What's, what's the language of fear doing in a psalm? It's all about God's love, His steadfast love, His forgiveness, His slow to anger, His compassion. That seems like odd language, doesn't it? Why is he using the language of fear? Well, I think here's my take. I think the language of fear is designed to help us see the, the bigness of God that there's a God who has made everything and sits at the center of the universe and our lives are actually not about us. That we were created by a God of such immense kind of power and scale that he made the world and the whole universe with a word. That and it was just all spoken into existence. See, this is a God who towers over us. He's in a different category to every other created thing. We are all created he is the creator. We're all creatures. We are finite. We are bound in time. We are limited in so many ways. And yet God is infinite, unlimited in his power, unrivaled in every way. He's so much bigger than us. It's a fear, fear of the Lord starts to pick up this understanding of how big God is compared to us. And, and fear of the Lord kind of deals a little bit with God's justice. He's not just loving. God is also just. He's infinitely loving and infinitely just. And so he will deal rightly. When you understand that, you start to think, God's going to deal justly with every time I've sinned, I've failed, unless I'm in Christ, in which case my sins are covered. So there's this fear of the Lord which covers his bigness, covers his justice. But I think this psalm helps us understand a third aspect of the fear of the Lord. See, we're going to come to Jeremiah 33, and and this will help us to understand this psalm a little bit more. See this passage, is going to come on the screen. It's all about the new covenant blessings that God is promising through his prophet Jeremiah to the people that, are going to, that it's going to come soon to them. And we see it fulfilled in Jesus, right? This is a, a new covenant Jesus promise. And he says in Jeremiah 33 verse eight, he says, I will purify them from all the iniquity they have committed against me. And I will forgive all the iniquities that they have committed against me, rebelling against me. This city will bear on my behalf a name of joy, praise, and glory before all the nations of the earth, who will hear of all the prosperity I will give them. They will tremble with awe because of all the good and all the peace I will bring about for them. Do you see this angle here? The CSB is translated as awe, but it's actually the same word for fear, and I think it can capture lots of the same kind of emotional range, awe and fear. It's it's not a fear of punishment. It's not a fear of the scale of God. What's it an awe of? Of all the good and the peace that God is going to bring about in their lives. It's in the face of pure blessing and love that they almost, it's like this, I can't believe how good God has been to me. It's this kind of like um, surprise and shock almost in the angle of fear. Like they can't believe how good God has been to them and has continued to be to them. See, fear of the Lord doesn't make us want to flee away from God. It doesn't make God hazardous. It draws us in close. When we see how he has treated us, it's almost unbelievable except for our experience in Christ. Fear of the Lord isn't in a flip side of love. It's not in tension with love. Fear of the Lord comes out of a right love of God. See, Michael Reeves puts it like his book He puts it like this in his book, Rejoice and Tremble. Um, This is a great book on fear of the Lord if you want to read more on this. He says, True fear of God is true love for God defined. It is the right response to God's full-orbed revelation of himself in all his grace and glory. True fear of God is true love of God defined. The more we see who God is, the more we see how he's treated us, the more we're awestruck We're we're dumbfounded by how he has loved us so clearly through the cross. See, when faced with a God of the immensity and the power and the scale of this God, wow, fear starts to feel right. When 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 we're awestruck by how he's treated us, continually loving us with compassion when we didn't deserve it, this kind of awe language, this fear language starts to feel right. And that's kind of the way the psalm ends, isn't it? See, David in verse 19, he says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. He's picking up on the bigness of God here. And he says in verse 20, Bless the Lord all his angels of great strength who do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord all his armies, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all the places where he rules. My soul, bless the Lord. Do you see the scope here? It's this kind of ever-expanding scope of the angels, the armies, all of creation, everything in his world. Bless the Lord. Praise him. And then he brings it back to his own soul in self-talk once again. My soul, bless the Lord. See, a proper response when we see God most clearly is praise. Praise. It's to bow the knee to him, to submit ourselves to him, to center our lives around him. In the 16th century, there was a scientist called Nicholas Copernicus. Anyone heard of Nicholas Copernicus? Any scientists in there? Okay, a few people. Um, he was an a, um, astronomer. He studied the stars, studied space. And he was the first guy that worked out that the earth wasn't at the center of the universe. See, up until then, there was a heliocentric model of the universe where the earth was at the center. And he was kind of doing the math, and he was like, this doesn't add up. I think the sun's at the center, and actually all the planets revolve around the sun, and it kind of sparked this scientific revolution. It changed the way we do science and math and understand the, the whole universe and everything that's been created. It was this huge moment. It became known as the Copernican Revolution. So you and I, we need to have a Copernican Revolution in our lives. A right fear of God helps us see that when I'm at the center of our own lives, that the Son, Jesus Christ, is at the center of your life and my life. He's at the center of everyone's life, whether we see it and acknowledge it or not. And we need to have that moment in our lives and, and center our lives to live for Him. He's worth all of our praise, all of our devotion, all of our, all, everything that we have. He's worth it. See, the God who knows our frame, who knows our frailty, is the same God who with power flung the stars into the sky. The God who is so big in his power is the God who separates our sin from the east as far as the east is from the west. See, the God who towers over us with this kind of this immense might and scale in our lives is the God who knows us intimately, compassionately, like a father. See, with that God, the God of the Bible, I'm safe. Now that's a God worth praising, worth living for, worth centering our lives on. Do you know him? Do you know this God of Psalm 103, the God of the Bible? I'll tell you how you'll know if you know him. I've got three things. You'll know you know him if you've bowed the knee to him. If you've seen your own failing and sin before God and flung yourself on his mercy shown to us in Jesus said, God, I'm sorry for the way I've rejected against you. When I see your bigness, the thought of me rebelling against you just doesn't make any sense. And I'm so thankful for Jesus. You'll know you know him if you've flung yourself on his mercy. And you'll know you know him if you've got safety and peace in your life, no matter the circumstances. See, life is going to have ups and downs, good times and hard times. We've all experienced that over the last few years and last few months even coming out of COVID. But if you know the God of the universe, the God who towers over everything, who's in control of everything, whose heart is for you and never changing, then you can have peace and safety even at the lows, even in the valleys. That's how you'll know you know God. And thirdly, you'll know you know Him if you want to live to bring Him praise if you can't stop sharing about Jesus in your own life, if you can't stop reflecting on the goodness of God, his bigness, his love, his character to you, there's a, there's a, a spiritual vitality um, a health check question for you. Do I find it burdensome to talk about God? Or does it come naturally to me because I want to praise the one who has so loved me and given himself for me, the one who is so big and worthy of praise? The more you do that, the more joy it'll bring you. See, he's the Lord. He's compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger, and he is full of faithful love towards us. What a joy it is to praise him, to center our lives on him and to live for him. Won't you join me as we pray that we'll do that this week? Father God, we've seen... More clearly tonight, how big you are. We've seen your majesty. We've seen your power. But even more than that, we've had a look and seen your heart. We've seen your compassion to us, your love to us, your steadfast, covenant, faithful love. We've seen the way you've forgiven us, most clearly shown to us in Jesus. We're so thankful for you. We want to live to praise you. We want to center our lives on you. Would you help us this week to praise you, not just in song in a second, but in our actions, in our, in our moments that we have, in, every, in everything that we do this week. Would you help us to live for your praise? Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.